Hello everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. Today we are joined by Miranda and thank you so much for listening, thank you so much for tuning in. We really hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to pass over to Jeremy to introduce her properly but we really hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for being here. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Thank you Miranda for being with us today. Um, so um, I'm going to let you talk way more but just a quick intro. Uh, we met at Daybreaker uh, mm. last year. Um, you do a lot of different things. Uh, I guess the main things that you're famous for <laughs> uh, is you're a conscious rapper. Um, you have an amazing voice. Uh, you also a yoga teacher, among other things. Um, but today we're going to be focusing on your story. Uh, how did you get where you are today? Where you come from, etc. Because we we know and we had some glimpses that of your story. Uh, we know a little bit, we don't know everything. Um, but yeah, we we want to know all about you <laughs> and your fascinating story to see how did you become Miranda Shines. And actually, I'm going to start with a quick question about that. Miranda Shines. Is that your real last name? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> that is not my last name. Uh, it's my artist name. Right. Uh, I was very much inspired to to have Miranda Shines as my full artist name because uh, there's a song by Younger Brother called Shines. Um, and when I heard that song, I was uh, awakened in a way. Mm. I had an epiphany. And, um, it, you know, music moves through people. It moves through your veins, moves through your blood just physically, but also on a spiritual level. And it, it, it motivates people to go forward in different ways. And so the way that music affects me, uh, I decided to to take on that name because I was kind of in the dark for a long time. Okay. Because, yeah, you, you introduce yourself as Miranda Shines. Like, I mean, when I met you, that's how you introduce yourself, I remember. <laughs> Yes, I was so used to having it as my like name already. I've had several names in the past. Right. Um, and I'm so happy I met you guys at Daybreaker. Daybreaker is an amazing, for, the, for anyone who doesn't know, is an amazing event where conscious people from all over the world gather together and they celebrate life, uh, meditate, and um, just party without any substances or anything like that. So we, we're very much like thriving in that community. And we miss it. <laughs> I know, but soon it will come back. Soon yeah, it will come back. Yeah. So, so I, I want to know, where are you from? Where were you born? Tell us a little bit about your family, your childhood, things like that. Um, I was born in Venezuela, um, in Maracay, in this small town called El Limon. I just found out recently that it was El Limon. Um, my father has been, we've been talking lengthy uh, conversations as of late and it's crazy how like I'm you know at this age I'm s still discovering things about my life that I've never known in the past mm. it's really interesting um, my mother was pregnant with me in a yoga community mm. um, and my dad was associating himself with a with a person there who is a spiritual master or a guru and people he had disciples there um, and that was going to be his first spiritual master. Um, when I say spiritual master, I meant guru. Mm -hmm. And um, But he ended up not doing so. There's an interesting background with that. 
but I was born there. My mother's from Brazil. My father's from Venezuela. And at the time after I was born, um, my mother, he, my father told my mom to go live with my grandmother in Rio de Janeiro for a little while. So she took a plane. She went there with me. And my father stayed in Venezuela cooking for a famous uh, Venezuelan artist. Uh, mm-hmm. His name is... Uh, Javi, forgot his um, I forgot his real name because that's his spiritual name. He's also in the he grew up in the Hare Krishna philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the movement, and while he was cooking for him, and he was doing that so they can make money and move to the states. Okay, because you know everyone, that's where you're gonna make money, right? Yeah. The American <laughs> dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and. For some reason, uh, something happened. My mom didn't believe that my dad was, they were going to meet up or something. So she went against his word and and traveled back to Venezuela with me. And I was not even a year old yet. And Mm. it's dangerous to cross the Amazon forest, the river, you know, Mm. with the baby. You're a woman. So at some point she... Um, was pretending to be with another person so that they can be protected. And then when I I got a little sick, but I got better. Mm-hmm. And uh, when my family, my, my mom and my father were reunited, and um, my father knew uh, somebody in the family who had military aircraft. And so they took that before they didn't have any uh, strict regulations in crossing the border right mm-hmm. so we took that aircraft we went to florida so florida is pretty much home base for me you mm. know my whole life we went from florida to california and there um that's you know pretty much where i started having my adventures <laughs> as a little child so you moved to Miami when you were about one years old you were still quite young yes yes yeah. i was still one and then and then they moved to california okay so I grew up there for like three years also in L.A. And how was that? Awesome. I mean, I don't really remember. Yeah. <laughs> I was still a little young child, so. And then what happened um, after this? You were there for three years. Why did you move after that, after L.A.? Uh, you know, I should have pulled up my timeline because one of the <laughs> disadvantages about me growing up in many different places mm-hmm. is I it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly where I was. Mm. So yeah, I can generalize like... it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, so my what, what happened was I, I grew up in a very like nomadic lifestyle. My mm-hmm. father would cook at a temple. They provided our family a place to stay. And it was like that, you know, and generally warm cl- climate areas so that's okay. why i came back to florida so many times to miami because we love <laughs> we love the beach exactly um so i at one point i was in hawaii my parents stayed in hawaii in an island out there for another three years mm. um i remember vaguely when i was seven years old i was learning how to surf mm. wow and um I had a spiritual cousin out there. I have some fond memories in Hawaii. And um, also, let's see, one of my other favorite places was growing up in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's a little, I think that's by North Carolina. Yeah. And very luscious green area. And they have this 
famous tourist place called the the, the Palace of Gold. Okay. Um, significant. Uh, Srila Prabhupada is one of the world-renowned yoga masters in the world. My mm. father is a disciple of that guru. He brought the Hare Krishna um, holy mantra to the to the Western world and propagated it. So you know, in the seventies, it was very much thriving. Everyone was chanting Hare Krishna and. Um, so he, he built all these temples, you know, all around the world. And I thought it was a very amazing thing. So in a way, he's also my spiritual master. Mm. You know? Okay, so I have a question. Could you tell me a little bit about Hare Krishna? Because I know kind of a little bit, like I've heard the words, but I don't quite know if it's a religion or if it's, I don't know. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes. Um, Chris, the Hare Krishna movement, um, there's a general... Uh, a group of people in a society called ISKCON. ISKCON stands for the International Society of Krishna Consciousness. And we are in a framework that we follow Bhakti Yoga. Bhakti Yoga is the path of love and devotion. So uh, what we do is we, we chant Hare Krishna and that helps liberate the soul. We preach the truth that we are not this body we are a spirit soul. The spirit soul is pure. And, you know, we are governed by karma, which is our past actions. And we have samskaras, which are the impressions that we've had um, on the soul from our past lives. And we want to reincarnate. And generally, we want to break the cycle of death, birth, death, old age, and disease. Mm. Um, you know? And it's uh, the origin of this uh, movement is from India. I'm yes, um, a lot of people identify with Hinduism, mm -hmm. um, but when the British Empire came to, uh, you know, dominate and conquer, they put all the religious schools of thought and put it in a box and called it Hinduism. Right. But we okay. actually come from a branch of that called Vedanta, and. Um, it's very much, you know, Krishna is the, the ultimate source of everything. He is and God. How, how did your family uh, from South America ended up into the, I'm going to say, this Indian culture? Well, you know, I just found out this recently as well. My father was um, studying to be uh, in agronomy you know, the study of agriculture. Mm -hmm. And he was living in Venezuela at the time. He was going to college, and uh, they were having a lot of political um, fights and protests, and they even closed down the universities for two years. And it disappointed my father because he really wanted to pursue his career in agronomy. Mm. And um, <laughs> so during this whole time, you know, there was uh, the movement they were passing uh, books, you know, uh, the science of the soul, uh, the journey to self-discovery, um, learning more about Krishna consciousness. He became intrigued by these people that were mm. chanting on the streets. Mm. And he joined the movement, you know, and okay. he left everything behind and he went forward with a spiritual path. And is that so where you met your mother? So sometimes I think about that. Not yet. Okay. Some, yeah. So like... 
later on, I think maybe about five years in, um, he met my mother in the movement. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you said you moved from place to place. Do you know how many places you lived as a child? <laughs> like, do you have any idea? Because it sounds like you kind of spent, you know, a year or two here in different places. Um, <laughs> I'm going to estimate maybe about 15. Wow. wow. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so the, not the main reason, but one of the reasons you were moving and one of the way you 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 were able to move was uh, because your dad was a chef right he's a chef yes uh, a professional vegetarian yeah. chef and and he was cooking for other people in this community right mm-hmm okay yes. and he's still he's still doing that right now he's living in mexico with my family okay. um he's just cooking for the family really um <laughs> Yeah, he's not doing that anymore, but he does it for a service, you know, for friends and family as well. I see. Um, right now, there's not really a, a com- like a high demand for that, especially now with COVID. Mm. Right. So I think that's why he's not pursuing with that as, okay. as of now. But he's okay. very much still in it. Hmm. Okay, so back to you. How were your teenage years? Talk to me about that. I'm sorry, can you say that again? Sorry, how were your teenage years? Where did you spend your teenage Yes. My teenage years. When you turn teenager, you're 12 or 13. 13, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was 13, uh, let's see. I was, I think I remember being in Tampa, up north in Florida, and I was going to Sarasota, or no, Bradenton High. Mm. Um, so I think that's where some of it began. And, um, there's a story actually, when I was living, I was actually in class, uh, and I was escorted out of class and I was, I went to the principal's office and they told me that I had to, you know, go and they were going to talk to me about it in the way and I didn't know what was going on. So when I got into the van, all my siblings were there. I'm the oldest of five. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we drove six hours down to Miami, and apparently they had deported my mother to oh. Brazil because she didn't have some papers, and they told my father that he wasn't capable of taking care of five kids, so they had put us in foster care. And how old were you at the time? I was 15 years old. 15. I was in ninth grade, so around there. Okay. And... You know, some time passed, they were giving my father stipulations and they told him, you know, you have to get at you have to get this place, you have to be earning about this much and they were giving my father a hard time because he really didn't have so many resources at the time, but you know, it's really important that we stick together. And he doesn't like that, you know, we were being raised by other people. I was going to say, did you how did the five of you get put in the same foster home? Like, were you kept together? Not at first. Not at first. They couldn't find a place to have all of us because it's five pe- five kids. Mm. Um, so I was separated maybe about, maybe for six, seven months. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And until they found a place, when they finally did, I think we were in, can't remember, North Miami. I was going to Barbara Goldman at the time. Okay. Um, 
And one day, they they started to give my father um, access to visit private visits so that we can have personal time with our family. Mm-hmm. And on one of those visits, my father told me that we, we can't stay anymore because at one point, the judge had threatened to put us up for adoption. I don't know how serious that was, but even such a small threat like that, you know, like it was not yeah, good. you take it seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he did take it very seriously. That same day, like we went to Mexico. Oh, wow. And was your mom back in the U.S. or she was still in Brazil? My mom was still in Brazil. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So how long were you separated from your mom? Um, the kids were separated maybe maybe two years. Wow. Yeah, two years. And, the, you know, there's a lot of separation anxiety and suffering there because, you know, we're all, we love to be together. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we finally went to Mexico and we got there, it was a long trip. Did you drive um, that? We drove. Yeah. We drove in a van. Mm. My dad sold the car. He united with some other devotees of, in the movement. Um, they helped us a little bit. And what happened was my father would go out and collect money while I watched over my siblings. Mm. And so you 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 had to grow up quickly in a sense, like you you had to become an adult really early and learn how to take yeah, care of family and everything. I was pretty much second mom um, mm. when my siblings. There's a huge gap. Between, like an age gap between me and the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 30 years old and my oldest brother is 22. Wow, yeah. My youngest, my sister, so it's three boys and one girl. My sister is 18 now, then it's my brother 21 and my other brother 22. No, sorry, 17, 19, 21, and 22. Okay. They're all like about a year apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, once I found out that I could like hold my little sister or my little brother, my parents were like, oh, okay, well, she can help. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> so, but and it's how, all good. How was the move to Mexico? How did you find that? Um, how was the move? Yeah. How, how was, was it going from the States to Mexico? It was just a long drive. I remember it being really cold when we finally got to Mexico. So cold. (laughs) Um, Probably the coldest I've ever been. I don't know why. Um, I was suffering a lot. I left my, you know, I had a boyfriend at the time. I had all my things. Like, it was all gone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And when I got there, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to stay in Mexico. And you know how I am. Like, I mean, you know how it is when you're a teenager. You're very much like, end of the world. Yeah. Um, I stayed maybe for about three months and I called my, my boyfriend at the time. I told him what was happening. He came over to Mexico. He met my family. And one night I kissed all my siblings and I left back to Miami. Oh, wow. When I came back to Miami, I was interrogated. I had missed some school. Mm -hmm. Um, I built 
over the years with DCF, Department of Children and Families, and the government, I became I became like very much like anti-government, <laughs> you know, yeah. anarchy kind of yeah. deal, like f the world. <laughs> um, so I I had built a resentment with them, and it even and it advanced a lot after they told me I had to repeat the grade even though it wasn't my fault that I left school and I was an A student. I was always, you know, trying to exceed my level at people's levels of expectation. Um, but I also used that to my advantage. Like I would say like, Oh, I could be an A student, but I'll skip class, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, you know, very much teenager, like rebellious, but at the same time, like always doing my best. Um, those were my teenage years. So when you moved to Mexico, did your mom uh, join you over there? Was yes. To... So after a couple after a couple years, my mom moved to Mexico to see her kids. Okay. So you yeah. you you've been away from your mom for like a long time then, growing up. Yes. Wow. Yes, I've been away oh, from yeah. her. Um, she my mother suffers from bipolar disorder. Mm. And I don't think it's t- until now I had a conversation with my father that he's starting to learn about that a little bit more. Mm. This whole time, like, she hasn't been treated properly. Wow. She hasn't. Um, so we suffered a lot of that. He never knew. He always thought it was part of her personality mm. that she okay. would, you know, act a certain way, that she was very much like her behavior patterns were not normal. So our life growing up was not easy at all. Sometimes she would, you know, build resentments with the neighbors. Nobody come in, like, or I like she would do things, and I would have to take care of the kids. And um, if my father was gone for too long, she would start freaking out, you know. Mm. And she used marijuana as like her medicine for most of the time. And my father thought, like, since it had helped, since it helped. And it's known to help people with bipolar. Mm -hmm. Um, He thought that was the only way that she would be better. So he always got it for her. But that's he never knew that it was like there was another treatment for it. So he just started like giving it to her. But he can't tell her that she's taking it because she wouldn't she would refuse it. So he's been, you know, crushing it and putting in food. Mm. But he's been seeing like like really good results. Yeah. That must be so hard. Ugh. Yeah. Can't even... Very hard. And there's so much, like, I feel like there's so much damage already done, you know, like, because she could have been treated a lot before. Yeah. Psychologically, um, just, it's kind of sad <laughs> to think mm. about. But yeah. I love her no matter what, and I forgive her for all the things that she's done. And I kind of went through a lot of what she went through, so I understand in a mm. way. Mm-hmm. Especially when at the times when she would abuse alcohol or marijuana or even psychedelics, you know. So when you were a kid and a teenager, you moved a lot, like you said. Um, I guess moving from a place to another means going to a different school every year, uh, finding new friends every year and getting used to a new environment every year. How was that? Because there is the beauty of seeing the world and many places, but it's also the downside of being, I don't know, alone, maybe, and stuff like that. How how do you feel about that growing up? Um, sometimes I felt alone, and I didn't know how special that was um, 
until later, but I was almost used to it, almost expecting that I wouldn't uh, be in that school for a very long time. I had to learn how to become detached from people, places, and things, um, especially if like, you know, I can't, I just remember building like a relationship with someone and then like, I can't keep it anymore because, you know, we're moving to the next spot. I never went to one school for more than one year. Um, I was always the new girl and, but I was quick to make friends. I knew how to like make you get friends. used to it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a skill now. <laughs> yeah. And then I feel like if people see like a new person, a new face, a new energy, you become like pretty popular if you if if you know how to like interact pe with people you know mm. so in that way it was kind of fun but sometimes I didn't know how to do it you know sometimes I was just weird <laughs> <laughs> but I I loved school I really loved school I loved you know developing relationships with the teachers they always thought I was bright and brilliant and some of them like I just you know, I really, I, I was part of the chess tournament at one point. Um, I went to my first rock concert. Like, I made friends and I learned how to, you know, let go. So. You, you've learned how to navigate <laughs> and to adjust uh, different places. Um, so when you decided to leave Mexico, uh, was that a decision that you took? kind of on your own, like, fuck this, I'm going back to Miami? Or it was something you discussed with your family and, and, and they agreed to let you go in a sense? No, it was something that I decided to do. I didn't tell anybody. Oh, wow. I, I kissed my siblings in the middle of the night. <laughs> and that was and everyone was sleeping. Oh, God. Yeah. So I, I felt really like, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. I felt guilty when I came back because I'm leaving my family, you know, what is my father going to do? Like I was suffering from like separation anxiety. Um, I just didn't know what to do, but I didn't want to stay in Mexico. Mm. I knew that for sure. But now I see that it was, I was supposed to do that. You know, mm. everything, everyone has their life path and everyone has their mistakes. They have to go through all that I had to go through. And it wouldn't have made me the person I am today 10 times better. So when I came back, I was put into a program called RTI, the Road to Independence. Mm -hmm. It's for foster kids who, who mm. grow out of the system. Okay. Um, and I was receiving a stipend of $1,200. And I sent half of that to my family every month. And that relieved some of the guilt. Because <laughs> yeah. I felt like I was like, I'm helping them because... And, and the, you know, 500, I mean, it's a lot there. It's a lot of money yeah. in, in pesos conversion. So it was helping them tremendously. Um, I think around when I was like 22, close to when I stopped receiving it, like I couldn't help them too much anymore because I was going through my own struggles. And um, during this time, did they try to... I don't know, convince you to go back to Mexico? How was your relationship with your parents and, and your siblings when you were gone? How did they take it? You know, I... I mean, I can't even imagine the, the, the face of your father, like when you woke up in the morning and you were gone, like, you went, holy shit, 
Like, that must be terrifying. It must have been terrifying, but I don't... In some way, my father is very intuitive. He might have known that this was going to happen. Mm, okay. You know? He might have known... I, I, that's actually a good question for me to ask him next time we get on the phone. Yeah. Like, did you know I was going to leave? <laughs> um, because, you know, I was just not in a good mindset. I was yeah. like crying every other day. He mm. told me not, I remember him specifically telling me not to lament and not to be deta- attached to, you know, people because you're to be grateful that you're here. And I, I, I heard him, but I didn't really hear him, you know? Mm. And, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I guess it's something that now, uh, years later, you, you understand what he meant and you can see it. But when you're on the moment, you got emotions and feeling going on. And, and it's, yeah, I, I see what you mean, but it's not what I want to hear right now. <laughs> like, and, and, even if you're used to move around, I guess when you find a place where like you can, you feel like home and you have people that you like and everything, right? Because even if you said that you've you've learned how to how not to get attached to people because you've been moving mm-hmm. every year, but even if you can get good at it in a way, it's I guess it's leaving scars somewhere. Right? It's not. Yeah. I see, like some emotional. Yeah, it's 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 leaving something behind in a sense, and I guess it's impacting you even on a some small level. But years after years after years, I guess you 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 want a place, you want an anchor, you know, you want a place where you can feel where you belong and and have a sense of community and everything. Yes, and that's what I've been given the opportunity to do is ground myself. These past three years that I've been that I came back to Miami. Um, you know, I've been able to get my own place, um, develop long-term relationships with people. Like, it's mm-hmm. amazing how, how I'm, like, growing up in a span of three years. I felt like I did maybe five years <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's, um, and I'm learning so much. This is a new chapter in my life. So I listened to the interview that you did recently. And I remember you said, I don't remember everything specifically, but you were in Canada for a while. Is that right? Yes. So when I came back to uh, Miami, I, my, my intention was to finish school. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to complete high school. So I did. I graduated. And then I wanted to continue with college. Mm-hmm. So I did. And I went to Miami-Dade. Um, and I saw... What did you study? Just out of curiosity. Uh, mass communications, broadcasting, and journalism. Mm. Yes. I wanted to pursue being an anchor oh, for, wow. to tell the news. Right. <laughs> yes, welcome to ABC News. <laughs> um, I just decided it was, it was not my route because it was too conventional for me. Mm. I'm so outgoing. I have my <laughs> nose pierced. Like I, I make music. Like I, I feel like I was born to be a musician. <laughs> um. And, you know, some people may see that in the outside world that I'm, you know, I'm pursuing something unconventional. Like, no, not most people do that, you know. True. But if you feel it and you think that you're destined to do it, just do it. Go for it. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so I went to do a study abroad program. I was the only art major in the 
business side, I went to go to China, to Shanghai for one month to study micro and macroeconomics. Wow. Yes. So that was my first excursion out outside the United States. And it yeah. was so awesome. And I love traveling. That's what I want to do. That's why I'm excited for my world tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, I visited Beijing. And uh, when I came back, you know, I was still kind of struggling with family separation and guilt. And I didn't really, I, I, I was still also experiencing a lot of freedom because I, I'm not tied down to the responsibilities of helping take care of my siblings oh, yeah. as well. That was so new, yeah. a lot of freedom, mm. you know, uh, yeah. hung out with my girlfriends. We, we got an apartment together and, you know, we partied a lot. Mm. And somewhere down the line, um, I started to abuse alcohol. And it was not good for me, you know, so I was struggling there, but then I was starting to seek salvation somehow. So uh, I moved to the temple. There's a nice temple here and actually five minutes away from where I live now in little Haiti. Oh. And I saved enough money selling paintings to go to India. Wow. I'm getting to Canada. <laughs> it's a long way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And in the past, my father had taught me how to, the way that we made money, because even though I'm not, uh, we, our family grew up deprived of finances, like we didn't have much money growing up, but we were spiritually abundant, mm -hmm. you know? Um, my father taught me how to, how to sell stickers to people. I would sell, you know, from door to door or like even sell just like merchandise, yeah. um, so, like, I learned how to do that on my own as well. And when I finally saved up enough money, I went to India for one month during a time called Guru Purnima. Uh, it's a very auspicious time of the year to go. It's the appearance day of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He is the, uh, the, the Sankirtan leader. Sankirtan is like a, when Kirtan, you know, do you guys know what Kirtan is? When a group of people gather together and they chant the holy names of the Lord. Okay. So uh, it was a very auspicious time. I went there and I fell in love with a person. <laughs> He's half Canadian, half Brazilian. So the whole trip was, it was awesome for me. You know, I, you know, I didn't drink or I didn't do anything. Um, I was very grounded. Um, we lived in ashrams. We, the next day we woke up, we did spiritual sadhana, which is like our spiritual practices. And we traveled to all the holy doms, you know, wow. at the same, it was like a very much like a fantasy life though, because like, I remember one of my best memories, I was in the back of a rickshaw and I was looking out into the sky and I saw the full moon. Um, and it was in the middle of the night and everything was like so mystic and people were <laughs> chanting and I was like, there is no other place I'd rather be but yeah. here right now. <laughs> wow. It was amazing. And I came back and we had discussed with a person that I, uh, that I fell in love with. He was living in Canada. He said, why don't you come here? And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know me, like, I'm just going to travel again. Right. Um, I packed two suitcases with all my stuff and I took a plane to California. I stopped there first for a spiritual fest 
And then I went to Canada and it was very difficult. I almost didn't get in because they were, they're strict with who comes in. They didn't believe that I was like moving there too much. (laughs) Somehow I made it through. Um, And I stayed there for, you know, a couple weeks. But what happened was his father is a a marijuana radicalist, which he's like, he he sells structured water and uh, baked goods. Mm-hmm. And Canada's very big on that. Yeah. So we, we went to another uh, event. We set up camp. And the, the authorities were uh, looking to see if everything was in order. And they checked my credentials. And they said, you're an American. What are you doing here? You know what I mean? So for some reason, like, you can't, like, they thought I was trying to work for him, them. And I said, I'm not working for them. You have to have, like, a permit or something. Yeah. And, you know, they handcuffed me and they brought me to the border. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. To the, uh, I forgot what it was called. I think it was, like, the embassy or something. But it was, like, a really nice building. Uh, it was, they put me in a room and it was, like, six panels of, Double, double-sided mirrored panels. All right, yeah. I didn't know who's watching me. <laughs> you know, I was there by myself. I was like, okay, what's going to happen? They served me really good food. It's like, okay, I guess this is Canada. <laughs> um, it was just You're like, this like, is okay. nice. I'll stay here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then eventually, like, they let me have a phone call. They And then I was only able to get one suitcase. That's hmm. it. And then from there, they dropped me off at the border. I that's, had to come. That's mental. Out. Like, you go to see your boyfriend, I happens know. to have like an event going on during the weekend, suddenly you end up f- being kicked out of the country. That's, For two that's years. In, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you get from the border of Canada back down to Miami? Did you drive? Did you fly? I didn't, I didn't go back to Miami. Oh, okay. Um, what happened then? I, I had to call my father, and he. My spiritual uncle had a sister living in Seattle. So that was the closest place to where I was at. Hmm. So I went to her place and I stayed there for about a week. Mm -hmm. And then my my spiritual uncle, who was living in Hawaii, uh, bought me a ticket to Uh, Oahu. Mm. And in Oahu, I stayed there for three years. What did you do there? Ugh, I don't (laughs) know. Like... Hawaii is like a different like element in this world. It's so crazy. It's like I fell into a portal and I just like, I looked around, I I met people, like I went to the beaches. It's beautiful in Hawaii. I went hiking. I saw the mountains, you know, I met the craziest, wildest, loveliest people, you know, and it was an amazing experience. I'll tell you that much, Hmm. but I was also not in like the mindset of like, for some reason, I, I, I dug deeper into the, uh, the substance abuse with alcohol. I just don't, I couldn't, I was dating, um, one of the top 100. I'm sorry. I was dating one of the owners of the top 100 clubs in the world called asylum. And I got into a relationship with him for three years, pretty Mm -hmm. much the whole time I was in Hawaii. Mm. And, you know, we went on boat parties and he was not really like spiritual in the sense. And I kind of like lost sight of like 
what I was doing in Hawaii. You know, mm. I put myself in these situations. Um, even though it was such an amazing place and I met some really cool people, um, it wasn't good for me being there because even they saw like I had to like try to change, you know, because I mean, I was kind of stuck in a vicious cycle and I couldn't get out of it. Mm. Um, I, tr I went to a rehab um, and I, it, they didn't understand that once you go to rehab, you're not, you're not supposed to be put back in the same environment. They still like party, right. you know, like where I'm going to go back to. And so, I mean, they became my family for a little while, um, but the relationship became unhealthy and we went on a vacation to um, Reno and we went to snowboard in the mountains. Um, and, you know, we separated from there and he left me there in, t in Reno. Um, and I didn't know where to go from there. I'm just like, I don't know this place. Mm. <laughs> like I, I got to know Hawaii, but now I don't know this place. So somehow like I was guided by a force. I was guided. I was protected out of all the things. Like I've been in so many crazy situations and I still survived. I was never like raped. I was never like drugs. I was never ever, ever. I was always protected. Hmm. And I know that this is because I have a divine purpose and meaning. There's meaning behind everything that I do and everything matters. Right. Have you ever seen that movie, uh, Benjamin Button? Mm -hmm. there's this one scene in the movie where there's like an event that happens and then a chain of events that were led leading up to that in one event it's like if he hadn't dropped this thing and it oh, yeah. and crushed yeah. over the thing like everything came up to that moment hmm. everything is so synchronized and in divine order and it leads up to a certain thing hmm. right so there's nothing to regret you know because this is where you are right now. If you're living in the present moment, then you have everything you need. Yeah. You're abundant. You're satisfied. You're content with the moment because that's where God is. It's. I agree with you, but when it's a, it's not easy to have this awareness because usually when you are in, like at the bad moment, like in the middle of the shitty situation, it's really hard to get this clarity and awareness of like, okay, calm down. This is happening for a reason. It's going to make sense later. But right now, like, it's really hard to, I don't yeah. know, like usually things get foggy usually and, and you are like into the shit and you just it's true. can't find your way out. <laughs> It's true. And I can't imagine back then, I think that like I was in an oblivion. I could not mm. grasp what was in front of me. You know, the signs that we see now um, and everyone is on their own path. And, you know, if you pick up maybe even a percentage of that, then you remember in hindsight that that happened and then you have an epiphany, right? Mm. Mm. But even if you remember just a little something, a symbol, a sign of what happened, that shows that's, that's really good for you. Yeah. Like your past. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you get out of this place then? <laughs> <laughs> so the whirlwind. Um, I let me see. So I was in Reno, and then I somehow like I met a person who helped me get in contact with a friend in Miami. Mm -hmm. um, and this friend knew knew me from before, and he said, "You know, you really need help. You got to come back to Miami." And I said, okay, but how am I going to get there? Like, I don't have my ID and I can't fly. <laughs> he sent the person money for a Greyhound. So I was traveling, detoxing on the Greyhound four or five days. It was so, it was kind of scary because like at one point I was trying to give the ticket to the person so that I could get on the bus and I could barely hand it over because I was like going through DT. Oh, God. It was so bad, um, but like finally I made it to Miami, and I remember one time, you know, like when you're going through that stage of, you know, detox, it was, your mind is not, it's unstable, and I felt like one time I went through so much fear, it was just like a, something that hit me. I was just sitting somewhere and I was listening to my surroundings and I was trying to like be in one place, kind of meditating. Um, and then all of a sudden I felt this impending doom, like so much fear, like I didn't know what to do. Hmm. And then like I broke out of that, like it's just something that you have to like sit with. Hmm. And then you remember like, okay, putting one foot in front of the other. And got to keep going right <sighs> i never felt that again but that one time like i remember it was so scary it's almost like i mean it's crazy because i've been robbed one time at gunpoint that oh, i mean what, what? Feel... What? <laughs> minute. you can't just drop that one sec <laughs> you can't just say that and move on okay where was this what happened <laughs> <laughs> well i think i was coming home from work This was like around the time when I came back from Mexico. I was living with my ex-boyfriend okay. before I got my own place. And uh, I was working at Smooth... I was working in Coral Gables in this place called Havana Smokers. And I was taking the train back home late. Mm. Um, and I was not in a very good neighborhood. Mm. And so walking back, um, you know, he had picked me up halfway. Oh, no, he picked me up from the train station, but walking. We didn't have a car. Right. And then, like, these kids on their bikes and, like, some on foot. Like, I think it was about three of them. They, like, literally half a block away from my house, they pulled out a gun and they said, give me everything you got. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, he, I don't know, I, I didn't, I didn't give him anything. I didn't have much. Actually, I took out something out of my bag and I snuck it like behind my back. I don't know what I was thinking. And I gave him my bag. And wow. then after that, we had to give do a police report. But you could kind of see like after watching movies and stuff that they were scared of doing that too. Mm. You never know what's going to happen. Like what if I had a gun? Yeah. yeah. But even then, I didn't feel that fear. I feel mm. like I've been like fearless my whole life. But now after I've had a spiritual awakening... I realized that a lot of my actions were governed by fear. Yeah. But I didn't realize that it was fear. It was identified as other things. Mm. I don't know if you ever get that sometimes. Mm. So you're yeah. like, 
Am I doing this? Why am I doing this? If you're very in tune with your emotions, but that's the thing. After you've been in a period of time, I feel like I've hibernated and desensitized myself, you know, especially with alcohol, mm. like that you're not really in tune with yourself. And then I'm like relearning all that. How, how are you, how in tuned are you? Right. So I don't know. Wow. You went through a lot. It's impressive, especially to see how you're right now. I mean, if you don't know, like you, I don't know, it doesn't look like you went through so much shit in your life. Um, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, like how it makes sense, like how you're really like passionate about what you're doing now and we really strong and really <clears throat> motivated to, to achieve your dreams. Uh, I can see that it's coming from that. Um, and obviously it's been helping, but wow. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm very much motivated to do what I was meant to do. You know, um, I have so much clarity It's so like, you can't ignore it. Um, so much proof that things are abundant and well, like, I can't believe I have this home. Hmm. You know, I have, I'm living in this cottage, right? Designed for me. There's just enough space for me to like do everything I can do. Um, you know, people believe in me. They want to help me. I recently got connected with uh, a producer who is working right now with Chris Brown, uh, Kid Cudi, uh, you know, <laughs> Cardi B. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm also connected with, you know, but I, through my Ayurveda teacher that I met at the temple, mm. she, she was an A&R. She's also a disciple of Srila Prabhupada. Like for me to get these connections through devotion and love and Krishna, Bhakti yoga, like, And for them to be a, um, a, a sheep in wolf skin in the music industry and for them to identify me and see that I'm talent and to take me on to their on their on board to connect me with people who call themselves God entrepreneurs to have a divine meeting and to tell me that like I'm gonna have a job with them in the music industry and that's all I've been asking for like for me to like have the job. <laughs> working in music like that's all I wanted and you know I worked really hard I worked really hard for me to like before this before COVID I was working as a receptionist at uh in 1111 Lincoln Road yeah 1111 <laughs> all right I don't know <laughs> I went up there I, got, I, I applied for the job I never thought I was gonna be like working there I worked there for four months If I never, and I didn't have a car, I was riding my bike to Miami Beach every morning from Monday through Friday. And I got into an accident last year. I broke my wrist. I wasn't yeah, scared I then. Like, I was like, that was something that would, that would have broke me maybe in the past. But hmm. I was going through it like, I'm, I have these hospital bills, but somehow I have faith that they're all going to go away. The person who hit me didn't have insurance. 
you know, or he does have insurance, but it didn't co- cover bodily injury and mm-hmm. his insurance company was going bankrupt. So it's just really crazy. But at the same time, like things are going so good. If I didn't have that job, I wouldn't have been receiving the unemployment that I'm getting now, you mm. know? So I'm in a sense, I know a lot of people talk about this in podcasts and whatnot, like COVID it's probably one of the best things that happened to you. Mm. And it's probably one of the worst things. But for me, it's one of the best things because it's given me the time to create and to catch up. Um, I was given the opportunity to to move forward with music. I met someone last year. Um, he's a he's a very talented in audio engineering and instruments. So it's just like one thing after the other. Like, I'm just amazed. Yeah. You can't you can't explain it in a sense. It's I just can't it. <laughs> it's just the way it has to be. When when did you fall in love with music? Actually, when when did uh when did you decide that that's what you wanted to be? Um, and yeah, when when did this vision became like this that's what I'm gonna be doing? Became fortified when I was given the opportunity to write to to go forward with my first song. And that was the t- that was uh, in the beginning of 2018. Okay. I was going to the temple every morning. I was waking up at 5 a.m. I rode my bike. Uh, we were doing these spiritual practices. I was reading the Srimad Bhagavatam with a group of people into my age. And uh, there's this one talented uh, engineer. His name is Krishna Kirtan. He moved to India recently, but um, he helped me. He, on his computer, I told him, I have the vision for this song. Please help me make it. And he helped me. He did my first beat. And then I took that beat. I held on to it. In May, I met another person after I was looking out to people. And I said, hey, can you help me like engineer this song? That's when I knew that I was like, I felt so happy about it. Like, you know when you like you feel something special like you have to keep going yeah you felt that it could be more than just a hobby it could be your thing Mm -hmm. i discovered my rap talent in high school uh i wrote a i wrote a poem i was writing a lot of poetry that was my first form of expression and acting i love acting i'm a thespian um and then when a, a beat came on, I connected with it and I wrote my first rap. I showed it to my friends. They encouraged me to keep going. Um, and then as I was going through this crisis, I wrote music. I wrote sporadically here and there. And I was so afraid that I was going to lose it that I memorized it. Mm. I memorized all those pieces. Because at one point when I left Reno, like I lost all my things. I didn't have anything. Mm. Um, so... I had to start over essentially. So now I'm going to release a whole album with all those pieces and it's called Reborn. And <clears throat> so I guess all the all the songs and everything you write it's in a way a piece of your story? Yes. Wow. Very much so. It'd be interesting to listen to it now that we know because I, I I guess it's going to have a different impact. <laughs> Right, so pay attention to the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you recording music videos as well. That looks so much fun doing the music videos. <laughs> yes. 
um, I think that we are visual beings and we love to see action. (laughs) That's why we watch movies, right? I'm also a movie buff. (laughs) And so I believe in tying a cinematic visual with the music because it brings it to life in another way. So that's, you know, one of my missions to do it. Um, I'm trying to like fit into the formula of how to succeed in a way um, with the music. And also I don't have a lot of money, right? Some people are wondering like, how are you doing all this, Mm. you know? And to be honest, it's just the abundance of the universe. Connecting with the right people and meeting the right people and doing the right things. Mm. What's your, your big vision, like your, What's driving you to do that? Is it to like spread a message of love and of uh, like no matter what life is gonna throw at you during your life, uh, you can keep going. You can keep. Do, do you, is your purpose to really like inspire other people uh, through music? Like, what's at first I was hesitant about you know letting so many people know about my life you know, so deeply. But I think that it's okay for me to tell everyone like what happened to me, you know, Um, just because it can serve a purpose for the other person and it could inspire others. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been getting a lot from many people, signs from the universe, like I'm inspiring other people um, that I have good energy. And it's this good energy only comes from having going through something so bad (laughs) you know and i'm very big believer of like good and evil light and dark um you have to embrace your darkness in order to let yourself shine you know um i deliver messages of truth and light to inspire other people um i draw from my trials and tribulations i express them in music because that's what moves me and I also teach yoga. Um, I did a 200 uh, course, 200 hour course, and Skanda yoga is what I'm practicing right now. It's based on the moon calendar. I'm trying to, my three main goals is to become the most in, influential conscious rap artist in the world. Um, my second one is to integrate bhakti yoga, Ayurveda, and Krishna consciousness. Well, that's the same. Ayurveda, Bhakti Yoga, and um, yoga in general, and teach it. And uh, the third is to really monetize in my talents and abilities. But I think that would come naturally. Yeah, it should come organically eventually. Exactly. Even if any exchange that I would be putting out should be coming, it's like a cycle. Yeah. Mm. What's your relationship with your family now? They're still in Mexico, right? It's awesome. My dad calls me, you know, two or three times a week. We talk um, for about an hour each time or half an hour and a half, you know. Um, I ask him questions. He gives me his advice. I I have a very strong relationship with my father um, because he taught me so much and I'm so inspired by him. He's a yoga teacher. He's a chef. He knows it all really mm. He's been around the world and he lived in Europe for eight years. He started, he was the first chef for, um, um, uh, food for life 
It's a mm-hmm. big organization where they, they fed um, people within a five mile radius, um, people who are hungry, but food, this is not ordinary food. This is food that's offered to God. It's called prashadam in Sanskrit. And, uh, you know, it's blessed. Mm-hmm. And any food we, we eat should be cooked with love, you know, because everything ex- is transferred through an ener- energy. So that's why I try to avoid restaurants because you don't know who's making your food. <laughs> mm. That's something that's an interesting to think way about. to see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're eating it, consuming it in yeah. your body. And do you think uh, the fact that the relationship with your family and your situation obviously uh, drastically improved in the last few years? Uh, how do you see this impacting your your life and your your you as a human being like how did you must have been growing up so much the last few years right like settling down uh i, I don't want to i don't want to use the word fixing your relationship with your family because it was not broken but i can't come up with anything else right now uh but yeah like improving like getting a more stable uh relationship with your family and and getting a more stable life like do you how how do you feel now? Yeah. Um, you know, I've thought about having missed a lot of my siblings. Like, I haven't been there for a long time. Mm. Maybe, like, close to eight, eight, nine, ten years, feels like. Um, and I missed that. I had my brother come visit me. Actually, I, when I the last time I went to Mexico, which was last year in May, Um, I brought two of them with me back to the United States and I thought they weren't going to come like be able to pass through the border because they didn't have a passport. But since I had mine, they, I told them, Hey, they're my brothers and my brothers. So they came in, they came in, um, my brother stayed with me in my house, but I always saw him as a little kid Mm. and it was so weird for me i didn't know how to treat him at the same time Mm. he's like why are you treating me like a little kid and i said what do you mean (laughs) but he also didn't know how to treat me and i feel like there might have been some resentment um because like i wasn't there i wasn't there you know so that needs healing yes i still need to know my siblings like they i learned a lot you know this past three years what they went through what happened I also didn't um, communicate with my, my, my mom and my father for like three years. You know, mm. they were very worried about me. I'm writing a song. I'm writing a song about that, um, about how you can put someone, your loved one, through all this from lack of communication. Mm. From And it's like the worst thing you can do. I can't imagine if you're, if I have kids, and they left and I didn't know where they were, what they were doing. And I think that uh, the relationship between a mother and a child is one that you can't really describe. It's like most unconditional love. Uh, it's just unique in a way. And um, it's just something to, to work on. My relationship with my father is great. I'm working to to not have to worry about my finances. I want to be successful um, financially and set my family and friends free. Like, you know, I want them to have a house. 
and I want us to be in close proximity so that I could go visit them normally. Even though I think my father wants to go renounce in India. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. But I think that's what he wants to do. But at least, you know, have my mother, have her, you know, situated and my siblings give them the opportunity because they're so talented. My, my sister knows how to sing and play guitar my brother as well <laughs> all of us and they're oh, yeah, artists yeah it's like incredible so they deserve the same opportunities i think it's just like this for a reason and i think the best thing that i can do is is do what i can do to make myself a better person and keep going and then everything will fall into place yeah and like you said also just be present as much as you can by communicating exactly like you said exactly. it's interesting the way you talk about your brother and sister like you've been using the word like looking after the kids like not look, <laughs> looking after my brother you know looking after the kids or stuff like like the word you use are really like yeah. mostly <laughs> right it's weird i have like a maternal instinct yeah but, yeah like you but can they're feel still it. my siblings yeah still my bros <laughs> yeah well it's amazing what you, I mean, you could write a book about your life, I think, one day, I am, honestly. I'm, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> you, you, you could. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot to say, and I guess you could go deep into each steps and, and, and people could get so much value from each steps. You know, people can relate to one part more than the other one. So going deep into each things you, you had to go through like you said like you right now you're expressing yourself through music but yeah i'm sure you could do a book as well and everything because you a lot of people could get inspired by everything you've been achieving and and you know it's it's a it's beautiful to see like where you are now like life can be hard life can be extremely tough and and you can still be happy and live a, a happy life and pursue your dream and it's it's a beautiful message of hope for the people. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the episode. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you more and hearing more about your story. Thank you so much for everybody for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed it. Make sure that you share it with somebody who might be interested. Miranda, where can we find you if people want to follow you or send you a message, anything like that? Listen to your music, get in touch with you, do yoga with you. <laughs> yes. So my main platform right now is Instagram. Uh, you can follow me, Miranda underscore shines like the sun. <laughs> um, Miranda is M-I-R-A-N-D-A underscore shines. And um, same thing with Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter. Um, they're all Miranda Shines. <laughs> where, can, where can we listen to your music? What's yes. the best way? SoundCloud? YouTube, actually. Okay. Yes, I have um, my, because it's with the music video. I would true. love you to see the complimentary visual. It would be so great. I'm going to link everything in the show notes anyway, so it's easy for people to find it. Um, and yeah, that's it. Oh, to go back to my first question, just to circle up. Uh, <laughs> sure. So... About your name, Miranda Shines. Uh, mm -hmm. You said you had multiple names <laughs> yes. throughout your life. Do you want to tell us a little bit more? And wh what are they like? When, like, when you were born, did your parents said like you're gonna be Miranda? My, no, actually, well, my my mother's last maiden name is Kiros, 
Q-U-E-I-R-O-Z. It's a Brazilian name. And my father's last name is Miranda. So mm. on my birth certificate, it says Brenda Cheryl Quiroz Miranda. And that's my real name, my okay, legal so, name. So your legal first name is uh, Brenda? Yes. Oh, you don't okay. look like a Brenda. <laughs> I don't, right? <laughs> no. I don't like it when people call me Brenda either. But like some of my old friends, like they'll call me Brenda and they know that I'm like icked by it. But they'll <laughs> yeah. still call me. Um, but I grew up, it's funny because Brenda Miranda rhymes. Mm. And I grew up with that. And sometimes I was made fun of. But yeah. what are you not made fun of back yeah. then, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, my spiritual name, what I was born with, is Radharani Devi Dasi. Mm. Um, I'm not going to be able to repeat that. But... <laughs> Radha for short. Radha, okay, yeah, that's yes. it, yeah. Radharani is the female feminine aspect of Lord Krishna. Mm. So you know how there's like yin and yang? It's like mm -hmm. the, the female consort. So it's a very beautiful name. It's exalted. I almost feel like I don't deserve it. But I no. I was so grateful that when I was initiated by my guru um, in 20, 2009, he kept my name. And, you know, a guru, they have done so much spiritual practice that they have a, a sixth sense. You know, like they're intuitive. They have spiritual vision. So they know when you become initiated, they change your name or they, they give you another spiritual name if you haven't been in the movement. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, he kept my name and I was so like, wow. So you do deserve it. <laughs> Thank <See>? you. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, like growing up in high school, I changed my name a couple of times. Like I have a group of friends that call me Kim. Kim Possible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I didn't I didn't like my name I wasn't accepting it um you know Brenda Miranda but and then I had Gucci bandana for like a few weeks but you know that's just because how I was changing from school to school like yeah. people change nicknames yeah it's like a thing hmm. all right but, mm -hmm. you'll be Miranda Shide for the podcast yeah okay, <laughs> perfect cool so thank you so much once again. We really hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week for a new episode. Thanks, bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much.